just kind of northwest of Israel today. And Constantinople was the capital, and then it became Istanbul when the Muslims took over. And it was a key place. It was a letter. The book of Revelation is also a prophecy. John, the fisherman, disciple, was in the spirit on the Lord's day and prophesied of things that happening and were to come. And it is also a revelation. It is the apocalypse, the revelation of Jesus Christ. And this chapter 12 is in the center of this book. And it's one last shot to, to preach strength, God's strength in our weakness. And it is about the storm center of life. And I wonder if you'd follow along with me. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven, behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, who, a male child one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated. And there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and, the, and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of its Christ have come for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even to death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. Verse 17. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, when the Bible says God is love, it is to say that you are three persons in the one God, that you have always been in love three together. 
that, Father, you've always had it on your heart, eternally begetting the perfect icon and image, the exact representation of yourself, the Word. And all your love and all your praise is for him, for you cannot praise anyone unless they're equal to yourself. And we praise you, Holy Spirit, as you love the Father and send the love of the Father to the Son, that you are the love of God that has been shed abroad in our hearts by which we cry out, Abba, Father, and are made partakers of your divine nature. And we ask that you would open up our eyes and hearts that our minds would see and our hearts would savor you and that we would actually take delight in this time that everything we do now counts for eternity and that we wouldn't be the same having come here this morning. We would be engaged when we leave happily in the battle that we are called to to fight. We pray the weapons of our warfare would be of you and not of the flesh. In Jesus' name, amen. We have Africans in our congregation and they speak of spiritual warfare. They speak of things like they uh, one uh, Pascal, a friend in Nigeria, he cannot leave a cup of coffee when he's at friend's home because somebody might put poison in it or there might be a curse on his, on his livelihood and so forth. So they're always in prayer. In fact, they can't explain how sometimes these uh, witches and others who have given themselves over to the evil one somehow are able to get into homes and leave lacerations and so forth on people's skin. When I went to, uh, became a Christian, I was full-time with a Christian organization, and at Purdue University, I first saw manifestations of the evil one amongst believers and non-believers, and it scared me, I'll be, I'll be honest. Even though I read it in the Bible, it was kind of like, in the United States, we don't have these things. But they were there. One time when I was then at Ball State, the guys that I was discipling called me and said, there's a friend of theirs, he's on all fours, he's growling like an animal, we don't know what to do. I'm the, the pastor man. So we called you, please come over here. Karen let me off, I said, please pray. And this dear young man was set free through prayer. He went limp and rested. And I've seen this a number of times, and in our own church, there are people that have been to doctors and got counseling and had done all these things, but they're still harassed, they're still troubled, they still cannot find a cure. And we've been engaged in a process of chasing away the demonic. I, I put it to you that there's some good resources that are kind of old. William Gurnall's uh, three volumes, 1,400 pages. <laughs> and at the end of the book, he bemoans he dealt so scantily on the subject. It's Martin Lloyd-Jones, a preacher of an earlier century. His volume, Christian Soldier in Warfare, Ephesians Six. And Thomas Brooks, you can get a paperback or online ebook, Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices. These are all very, very helpful. But the mature Christian knows about the spiritual warfare. 
Paul said at the end of his life, I have fought the good fight. He was feisty to the end. He told Timothy in 1 Timothy, you were, you were called when we prophesied and laid hands on you to, quote, engage and or to wage warfare. All of us in Ephesians 6 are called as a body here to be strong in the might of the Lord and to arm ourselves for the fight that we're engaged in. It's our lot, and I would put it to you, our joy to fight. So I want to look at three things here. The storm center of life, verses 1 through 4. Secondly, the crucial victory, 1, verses 5 through 10. And then the battle we must fight in verses 11 through 13 and verse 17. The first in verses 1 through 4, you have the storm center of life. This is the way things are. This is the way things have always been. And you see there's three extraordinary figures there, signs. The first is of a woman, the second is of a dragon, and the third is of a son, a male child. So first the woman. You notice in verse 1 it says, A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars, 12 representing the 12 tribes and the 12 disciples and so forth. But this is the glory of one whom glory, the, there's glory, the sun is her clothing. She has authority, the moon is under her feet. She has majesty, she has a crown of seven stars. And yet she's a travailing woman, about to give birth, as it says. She's in the pains and the agony of giving birth. It's a reference to Isaiah that the church is the woman, the people of God, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, is called the woman. And in Isaiah, it says, like a pregnant woman who writhes or squirms and cries in her pangs when she is near giving birth, so were we because of you, O Lord. The people of God in the, the Old Testament were like a woman always in pangs, always about to give birth to the one who would come. And she struggled from Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, where God pronounced a curse on the serpent and said that the offspring of the woman will fight the offspring of you, the serpent, and there will be an endless, irre irreconcilable war. And the people of God, the woman of God, in this text and in all the Bible, has struggled to maintain the offspring of promise. For one would come through the seed or the offspring of the woman who would slay the dragon, who would crush Satan's head. The one who was promised was in birth, so to speak, in coming through the genealogies. Cain was incited to kill Abel. Pharaoh was killing all the sons in Moses' time. Haman would try to wipe out the Jews in Esther's time. 
Herod, King Herod, would kill every male son that he might kill the promised son. She is in travail. The Old Testament people of God and the New have been in travail to give birth, waiting for the promised son. The second sign in verses 3 through 4 is of the dragon, a mythical figure, a deformed, a distorted, a supernatural monstrosity, bright red in color, many-headed with horns, which are signs of strength, great strength. And I ask myself as I look at this, why then this monstrosity of a figure? And it is because we have the same trouble envisioning the greatness of God as we do the dreadful greatness of the devil. In fact, we have the same trouble envisioning God, God glorious as, it is, as he is in chapter 4 of this book glorious and beautiful and awesome and the lamb on the throne with him in chapter 5 and so it is we have a hard time with both so that we neither tremble before God nor before Satan the third figure is of the promised son in in verse 5 the beginning she gave birth to a male child one who is to rule the nations with a rod of armor. So here is the promised son. And the storm center from the beginning of history and throughout history is these three. The storm center is the conflict between the church or the people of God, the dragon, the devil, and the Son, Jesus Christ, whom John says in 1 John 3, 8, came to destroy the works of the devil. He came to fight. But this is why things are the way they are in all of history and in all of our lives. The storm center of life is the church, the evil one, and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's all about those three This is where everything meets. This is why there's all these conflicts. This is what all of history is is about. Do you recognize the glory of the woman? Whatever you think of the people of God, she is the woman who has majesty and authority and beauty. She is Mrs. Jesus. She is the bride of Christ. She is the one in whom gives birth to the great plans and purposes of God? Do you have an acknowledgement that the dragon is dreadful and he's bent on picking a fight with us? And do you appreciate how Christ has come to wage war, knowing the devil was waiting to devour him even at his birth? The second idea is the crucial victory won. In verses 5 through 10, we have the victory one that she gave birth to a male child and her child was caught up to God and to his throne. That Jesus Christ was born a man. That God 
the three persons of the one true God, that the Father gave the Son, that the Spirit empowered the Son, and the Son, conceived of the Holy Spirit, came to be human, that he is always God and yet human now, always God but now with two natures forever, that he came to identify with the people and the woman, that he is the head of the church, and he has one righteousness for all humanity if they believe. He lived the life we could never live and died the death that we all deserved. He is the Christ. He is the ruler. He is the one who substituted himself on the cross that we may have no more wrath, that we may have peace with God, that we may enter into the fight. He was the one who lay for three days in the tomb, but was snatched up. He rose from the grave, alive, human, God, alive from the dead. Our humanity united with him. He's our hope of the resurrection. But it wasn't just the resurrection. He ascended, as you read in the first chapter of the book of Acts, he ascended to the throne, to the highest place, not the geographical right hand of the Father, but that is the highest place. And from there pours out the Holy Spirit to regenerate, to revive, and to advance his kingdom against the kingdom of darkness. He is the ascended one, and he is at the right hand, the lamb slain, alive to intercede with, for us, ruling the nations. And as we read here, Satan is cast down. When Jesus came and was born, before he was snatched up, he bound Satan like the strong man to go take the spoils in the house. He bound Satan. Satan is now bound from deceiving the nations. And on the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ made a public spectacle of Satan and the demons the dragon and the reference to a third of the stars is probably the third of the unfallen angels that rebelled and became fallen angels. And he made a public display of them on the cross as Colossians speaks of around chapter 2, 14-ish. That it says that Jesus held them out publicly making a public scandal of them. The idea is of a Roman general who wins a victory and marches in, let's say the emperor's up here, marches into Rome with the army first, this general leading the way, and at the end were the defeated foes branded as losers and losing all their spoils, all their goods. The parallel passage of this is Revelation 20, but we won't go there at this time. So we have the storm center of life, the victory Christ won. He won the victory. He came and he smashed the serpent's head on the cross. He bound him there. So now the nations are no longer deceived. The gospel is spreading. And from the time he was caught up or snatched up to God, there has been a non-stop advancement of Christ's kingdom and the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. 
every square inch. The third thought here is the battle we must fight. And so you find that Satan is thrown from heaven. Verse 11 says, well, let's just go to verse 7. Now war arose in heaven, and Michael and his angels are fighting Satan and his angels. Verse 9, they're thrown down to the earth, no longer in heaven. Verse 9, thrown down to the earth. Again in verse 9, thrown down all the evil angels, demons with him. And then it says, now salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, thrown down, who accuses them day and night. And then you see in verse 13, he got ticked off when he was thrown down and he pursued the woman, that is the church, who had given birth to the male child. And verse 17, then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, namely us, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold fast to the testimony of Jesus. Now this letter wasn't written for a bunch of Bible scholars or Bible study people in your church or mine to sit around and analyze everything with charts and figure out who knows the most. This was a letter, prophecy and revelation, written to first century Christians who were suffering who were about to go into the lion's den, who were about to go out into the amphitheater, and they needed encouragement on how to overcome and how to win against Satan. Some of their churches had demonic stuff going inside it. Some of them had sexual immorality. It was a mess. Some of them lost their first love. It was a lukewarm church in Laodicea and the like. And this is to arouse them to fight the good fight to encourage them. Now, the first thing you may fear, uh, feel is fear that, oh no, here he comes. But it is the rage, you see in verse 17, the rage of a defeated foe. It's checkmate. You now are just involved in a fight to finish off the rest of the, the game. So we are pilgrims in this wilderness. Elijah was called to restore. Israel to be holy and differentiated. Hosea to, tells them that God will even lead his people out to the wilderness to shake off their jewelry and all their idols to find out all they have is him. The high priest Joshua in Zechariah 3, though he's cleansed and bathed himself, he goes into the holy of holies and he's seen before God and Satan with filthy rags. And the Christ covers him and rebukes Satan. It is a wilderness. We are a mixed work. How shall we overcome? In verse 11 it says how we overcome in three ways. They overcame, they conquered. Overcome is the main word in the book of Revelation, or conquered. They conquered him. That is what we're going to do. They conquered him by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony. Four, and I'll add a third, they didn't love their lives even 
unto death. And this is what happened. The believers spread the gospel through their own martyrdom. As the early church father, Tertullian, says, the blood of the martyrs was the seed of the church. The more we were martyred, which is another word for witness, the more the gospel spread. And they would be singing hymns. There's uh, historical, there's a main road going out of Rome that had just lined, been lined with crosses, with believers dying and being buried in the catacombs after nearby, singing praise to God and giving testimony even unto death. How shall we overcome? Well, we're sent out to serve in Jesus' name. When Jesus sent out his disciples in Luke 10, he said, I saw Satan fall like lightning. In John 12, 31, in the upper room, Jesus said, Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. So what Christ accomplished in the victory, Michael and his angels finish off the job. It's not Christ versus Satan. It's some equal warfare going on. Michael takes care of it. He assailed Satan. He defeated him. He cast him out of the courts of heaven. And all heaven shouted, Hallelujah. So then, the spiritual conflict that remains is not really against people. We fight against the demonic, not against flesh and blood. His accusations and his temptations are his two main strategies. And our spiritual weapons are designed to overcome in this battle. Now, modern man has says, explains everything with natural causes. Well, the reason you have this problem is because of this and this and this and that. And so the remedy is always natural remedies. You just need to eat some more, sprinkle some turmeric and... Da, 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 and you'll be just fine. The problem it, it also, too, is Satan didn't leave fang marks on us. He left his poison and his lies on us. And so, when we come to study Satan and spiritual warfare, we're reminded of the wonderful book, Screwtape Letters, that C.S. Lewis wrote of a senior devil instructing a junior devil of how to harass a believer. And in the introduction, C.S. Lewis speaks of how we can fall off the deep end in two ways. We could either be one who denies the existence of the evil one, a materialist, or we could be somebody who's making everything about the devil kind of like a magician. And he says they themselves are equally pleased, the devils are equally pleased with both errors. They hail the materialist or the magician with the same delight. So we want to think about this in a way that's biblical. Conflicts with a family member can lead you into a self-righteous entitlement 
when Satan tempts us to pride or can lead us to self-hatred for wrongly living the way a Christian ought to have lived and Satan then is always accusing us and beating us down for our sin. And so there's two main strategies of Satan. The one is when we're proud, where we think we can just transgress any boundaries, just go make love with a woman outside our marriage, tempted to take what is not ours, to transgress. That temptation comes when we're proud. And his other strategy is when we're self-defeated and beating ourselves up, full of self-contempt, and he just comes along and he heaps more condemnation to beat us down, to lose heart, and take us to despair and depression. So do you have, are you aware of your pride and how vulnerable you are to temptation? And are you aware of being too hard on yourself, always beating yourself up, spending too much time before God confessing rather than looking up and receiving the prices paid? Don't give the devil a foothold, Ephesians 4 says, in your marriage, in your family, when there's anger or bitterness or unforgiveness on the dashboard of your life, open the hood of your heart and say, what's this all about? What's wrong with the heart? And go to the gospel. Quick reconciliations. Not long. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Reconcile. Peace. Peace. The gospel is peace among sinners. If you dwell on your sins, then you'll deny the amazing grace of Jesus Christ. If you shout out your entitlements, then you deny that his atonement was sufficient to forgive others of their sins and you yourself. Peace. The gospel of peace shall undo all of Satan's strategies. And then you can get on with spreading the gospel to a lost humanity. We're no longer into self-salvation, trying to overcome all this condemnation, and no longer over here fighting with everyone, and full of entitlements, and I should have been noticed, and I should have got a raise at work. Now we are freed up through the gospel as our main fuel to enter in to loving well. And one of the problems of loving well and sharing the gospel with others is that we're so committed to self-protection. The lost humanity around us are under Satan's dominion and Satan's misery. And if we could just get off the floor and down from our tall thing and just recognize that we are to overcome in three ways, by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of our testimony, and by not loving our personal safety even unto death. 
self-protection. Now, I'll admit, I have to repent of self-protection all the time. On the matter of the blood of Jesus, I plead that over my family every night, over our church. I did over your church all week. I plead the blood of Jesus, which is effectual and always will be over the heads of everyone here. I pray against any curses or evil wishes or prayers against anybody. I pray against any demons that have come to harass you, and I pray down all the blessings of the Holy Spirit upon your heads. I pray that every night. If it's not biblical, tell me in heaven. It's not unusual for some of you to have nightmares. Maybe no one talks about it. Feeling like you're being choked to death. Very common one. You have authority in Christ by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of your testimony, and by not loving your own personal safety at the expense of others hearing the gospel. You know, that's why we don't share the gospel, because we don't want to get rejected. So we'd rather be personally safe rather than enter into the engagement of loving other people, which probably will cause us some pain. And I'm one of the biggest chickens there is. And uh, one of the fellows in this room remembers a guy named Bill Koss. Bill Koss led me to the Lord in a fraternity. He wasn't chicken. He shared the gospel with me. I'll tell you another guy. There was a guy that started a church in Tucson. Big church. One of the most effective evangelists in, the, in our denomination. You know how he came to Christ? He was sitting in a coffee shop and in a student union and some, some young man came up like this and said, he said, give it to me. He took it and it was a gospel track and he became a Christian. I'm such a chicken. When Bill Koss led me to the Lord, he was all military. We're going to share the gospel with all 60 guys in this fraternity house. And I'm thinking, oh gosh, we've got the football stars, we've got all these people, and oh man, every, we'd go like Thursday night around the room, I'd give a three-minute testimony, he would share the gospel, we'd pray like crazy, and felt like a scandal, knock on the door, and so forth. And every Thursday morning, I would be down in my knees, oh God, please make Bill really sick tonight. And God never answered that prayer. <laughs> we shared the gospel with all 60 guys. But we have to repent of our self-protection. D.A. Carson says, How then shall we wield our power? How shall Satan's kingdom ever be pushed back? By testifying of the good news, he writes. That the hosts of darkness are pushed back by Christians bearing witness, giving testimony to who God is and what he has done in Jesus Christ. How else can we push back against Satan and his forces? We will be defeated if we simply keep silent. If you never share the gospel with anyone else, you yourself will feel defeated. You're not pushing back the frontiers of darkness. This is how Satan is defeated by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of his testimony. Like I said to the men's conference, C.T. Studd, the great missionary, when came to Christ, he was the Babe Ruth of cricket. And D.L. Moody was afraid to go and speak to all those Oxford dons. Every time he said, 
Daniel, he pronounced it Daniel, and every time he said Daniel, they would roar and laugh. And on the last night, he got all the ladies in the community to pray against the evil one, and up walked C.T. Studd, gave all his money, he was, we would say a, a billionaire, gave his money to the cause of Christ, gave his life to go to China, and he wrote, let us not glide through this world and then slip quietly into heaven without having blown the trumpet loud and long for our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Let us see to it that the devil will hold a thanksgiving service in hell when he gets the news of our departure from the field of battle. The storm center of life, the crucial victory won, the battle we must fight. Reverend Francis Dixon of New Zealand heard a testimony of a man named Peter. This is how I was saved, said Peter. I was walking down, or I was stationed in the Royal Navy in Sydney, Australia, and I was walking down George Street, and out of nowhere came this little old man. He said, excuse me, sir, but may I ask you a question? I hope you won't be offended. If you were to die today, do you know where you would spend eternity? The Bible says you'll spend it in either heaven or hell. Would you please think about this? Thank you, God bless you, and toodaloo. <laughs> Several months later, he asked another member to share his testimony in his church, and the guy said, this is how I was saved. I was stationed in the Royal Navy in Sydney, Australia. I was walking down George Street when out of nowhere came this little old man. He said, excuse me, sir, may I ask you a question? Hope you won't be offended. But do you know where you'll spend eternity? The Bible says you'll spend it in either heaven or hell. Would you please think about this? God bless you and toodaloo. Well, the next year, Pastor Dixon was preaching in Adelaide, Australia, and he said, I've got to share this. In the middle of the service, there's a man in the back waving his hand like this. And he said, all right, we'll let the guy speak. He said, that's how I was saved. I was, I was walking down a George Street in Sydney, Australia, when out of nowhere came this little man. He said, excuse me, sir, I hope you won't be offended, but could I ask you a question? Do you know where you'll spend eternity? The Bible says you'll spend it in either heaven or hell. Would you please think about this? God bless you, and toodaloo. Well, the following week, he was preaching in Perth, Australia, and said, I've got to share this. And afterwards, a man came up and said, I'm another. I was walking down George Street. Do, 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 toodaloo. <laughs> well, Pastor Dixon came home to repeat to his church. And after the service, a woman came up and said, I'm another. I was walking down George Street, went out of nowhere, little old man, spent eternity. Toodaloo. Well, several weeks after that, he was preaching at a convention of pastors in northern England and he mentioned what had happened and afterwards a pastor stood up and said I'm another I was walking down George Street in Sydney Australia went out of nowhere little old man excuse me sir but may I ask you a question I hope you won't be offended if you die tonight would you know where you'll spend eternity the Bible says you'll spend it in either heaven or hell would you please think about this thank you God bless you and toodaloo well, a year later in India, he was meeting with pastors for training in evangelists and afterward, evangelism. And afterward, a missionary said, I'm another, George Street, Sydney, Australia. Question, offended. 
Toodaloo. Then a month after that, a Jamaican businessman, one of the businessmen there when he was in Jamaica said, I'm another, walking down George Street, little old man, out of nowhere. Where are you going to spend eternity, heaven or hell? Would you please think about this? God bless you. Toodaloo. Well, where do you think Dr. Francis Dixon went next? Sydney, Australia. And he found a well-known Christian businessman. He said, do you know some little old man in George Street? And question, sure, that's Mr. Jumer. He's been doing that for 22 years. I know he'd appreciate a visit. The thing is, he just got out of hospital and he's sick home in bed. And it seems like he's going to die soon. Well, Pastor Dixon stood by his bed and unfolded the long story of the names of all the people that have come to Christ as far as he was aware of. And he looked down to see Mr. Jumer smile and he was surprised to see that he was weeping so profusely. He had to ask him, why are you so sad? And the little old man who was ready to die after 22 years of faithful evangelism got his composure, looked up into Pastor Dixon's eyes and said, Dr. Dixon, that's the first time in 22 years I've ever heard of anyone coming to Christ through my efforts. My dear friends, you were called to a fight, to get feisty. The storm center of life is obvious. It's the woman in Christ and the devil. The victory has been won in Christ, and it is our lot to win, to overcome. The most used word in this book, how shall we overcome? by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of our testimony, and by not loving our life until the end. Father, thank you for this text in Revelation chapter 12. In the center of this book is the storm center of life. And we pray you would prepare us for communion now, to covenant with you, to repent, to receive forgiveness to get the focus off ourselves, to uh, be committed to pushing back Satan's strategies, to not give in to pride and temptation, nor to self-condemnation and slander, to rise up and think about others and to love well. And we pray you would give us uh, courage to share a testimony and speak of your blood Pray and preach your blood and to not be committed to self-protection. In Jesus' name, amen.